0: Adapted from the best pulp in the world, welcome to pulp Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company.
1: Tonight, Murder on Santa Claus Lane, by William G. Bogart. Good evening, this is Pete Lutz. Tonight, we're taking a trip to Hollywood, the Hollywood of the 1940s during World War II. But even though we'll be driving through the fabled streets of Tinseltown and visiting a film studio, there won't be a single movie star in sight, cause it ain't that kind of tale. Our story for tonight, Murder on Santa Claus Lane, was written by William G. Bogart, and it appeared in the January 1943 issue of G-Men Detective Magazine. This foray into the world of cops and robbers is set at Christmastide, and as such is presented as a holiday gift to you, our listeners. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll get started right after this brief word.
2: Hey, that's my barbell doll, Tiffy. What are you doing to it? It's not your barbell doll, Sally. Why would I want to play with your regular old sissy barbell? I've got my very own special barbel. Oh, wow. She sure does look special. Why is she wearing torn-up khaki pants, tall boots, and a ripped flannel shirt? Because my barbel is the all-new post-apocalyptic (gasps) barbel. Is she battling the zombie invasion? She sure is. Just look at that lifelike bandolier and the scale replica of a real M1 rifle. Wow. Yeah, and over here is the official post-apocalyptic barbel playset. Just look at these awesome zombie action figures. Touch that one's face. Ew, it feels so real. Ah, his eye popped out. I know. Don't you just love it? It's awesome. I'm going to run home and ask my mommy if I can have the post-apocalyptic barble too. Sally, I heard you got your very own post-apocalyptic Barble doll. Hi, Tiffy! I sure did, and look, here come Barbell's boyfriend, living dead Kenny, and her little sister, Zombie Skipler. Grrr! So awesome, Sally! With our own post-apocalyptic Barble playset and all these accessories, I know we'll be ready when the last days come. Well, I sure hope they come in our lifetime, Tiffy. <laughs>
3: post-apocalyptic Barble comes with zombie hunter wardrobe and weaponry. Post-apocalyptic Barble playset sold separately and comes with three zombie action figures. Living Dead Kenny and Zombie Skipler sold separately. Batteries not included. Now available from Has Been Toys. Welcome back to Pulpery Theater and Murder on Santa Claus Lane starring the Narada Radio Company. Now, let's meet Johnny Regan, our storyteller for tonight. Johnny's a patrolman for the Los Angeles Police Department, only six months out of the academy and sharing a radio car with veteran cop Big Ben Slattery. It's December 23rd, and Johnny and Big Ben are on their shift right now, with Ben in the driver's seat, cruising through the heavy holiday traffic on Hollywood Boulevard.
4: Months now, I've been riding the bus with Big Ben Slattery. He's a huge truck horse of a guy, jovial and easygoing, and well established on the Los Angeles PD. Ben has been showing me the ropes all this time, and and usually, we're getting along pretty well. But tonight is different. For the past half hour, Big Ben has been whistling Silent Night in an off key. Have you ever heard Silent Night sung by Bing Crosby? Beautiful, ain't it? Well, Big Ben Slattery ain't no Bing Crosby. On top of everything else that is bothering me, I have to share a patrol wagon with a guy what ain't Bing Crosby. Was the night before Christmas and all through the house. Ah, nuts. <laughs> What's
1: the matter, Boyle?
4: Ain't you got that old Christmas spirit at all? And a fine thing it is. Tomorrow night, Christmas Eve, and what do we have to do? Spend it riding around in this crate. They ought to give every cop in L.A. the night off.
1: Ha! Sure, and have every punk crook in town having the time of his life. I had Christmas off last year. You'll probably get off next.
4: <laughs> ben, you, you kind of trailed off at the end of your... Uh... Shh! Listen,
5: I gotta pull over for this.
6: No,
1: ain't that just swell? Don't they sound like the very
4: angels? Ah, <sighs> oh, nuts! Come on. Look around. No Christmas lights. Dim outs. Maybe even a blackout tomorrow night. And they used to call this place Santa Claus Lane. Psh.
1: Boyo, ain't a thing you can say will dampen me Christmas spirit. Lights or no lights, I'm in the holiday mood. Hark the herald angels sing. Cartoon 19. Glory Cartoon
4: 19. To The Binge, just That's us.
1: Car 219. Attention. Emergency call. Woman in distress. Car 219. Don't you swing them,
4: jingles At last! Something to relieve the monotony. Ben acknowledges the call and pulls away from the curb, stamping his brogan down on the gas, heading for the address, which ain't far away. I have a kind of hope that this woman in distress is a blonde who needs our help. Ben cuts down Poverty Row and plays the spotlight over the house numbers on the street.
1: This is the place. All right, kid. Run in and see what the day wants. I'll just lean back and wait here for you.
4: I frown at Ben, which he doesn't see, and hard heel it up to the door. I am just starting to feel around in the dark for the bell button when...
7: Oh, I'm so glad you're here.
4: The dame must have been waiting for me just inside the vestibule. There is a dim light behind her that doesn't help me see her features, but she appears to be young and slim, so... She is probably also pretty. I can hope, anyway. What's up, lady? We got a call.
5: It's my baby. He's ill.
6: I've got to get down to the corner drugstore for something, and I haven't a phone.
4: I guess we could run down there for you if... Oh, no. Uh...
6: I'll have to go myself. It's a special prescription, and I want to make certain the druggist compounds it correctly. If you could just stay with Cecil a moment. He's just in here.
1: He's just fallen asleep
6: again in the other room. Please, don't go in there or he'll wake up. If you'll just be very quiet, it'll only take me a moment.
4: I look around at the room. It is plainly furnished, kind of threadbare. The woman is standing by the lamp and she looks up at me with big, pleading eyes. And she isn't half bad to look at. Not bad at all. Okay, lady... Just a minute until I tell my partner, then I'll be right back. Please, hurry. She was. Huh? She was what? A blonde. Nice, too. Look, I told her I'd mind a kid while she runs down to the corner drugstore to get something for him. He's sick. What are we running here? A diaper service? Ben, now listen. Only a moment, see? We gotta help her out.
5: Good evening, officers.
4: Ben and I turn at the sound of this voice and see old Pete Kelsey, the night watchman at the Acme Features studio shuffling with his cane up the walk toward us. Hiya, Pete. The leg bothering you again, Pete. Ben and I both like Pete Kelsey. He's a nice old guy. Acme Features is a studio on Poverty Row. That's the trade nickname for the street where the low-budget movie studios are. And is housed just around the corner from where we are standing. Many's the time we've stopped in during the quiet hours to share some coffee with Pete in his watchman's shack just inside the gate on the Acme lot.
5: (laughs) I guess we're gonna have rain for Christmas, Uh, looks like.
1: Uh, With this bum leg, I can always predict the weather. Come on, Pete, hop in. I'll give you a lift the rest of the way. Dwight, big patrolman Wiegand's got to play nursemaid for a bit. See ya, nursie!
3: <laughs>
4: okay, lady. I'll wait here for you. Isn't your partner waiting for you? He had to go, uh, run an errand. Tell you the truth, I am hoping Big Ben will take his time driving Pete to the studio, and that this dish will get back before he does. I am thinking it might be nice to talk with her a while. She is the kind of girl could take your mind off the fact you have to work on Christmas Eve.
6: Be quiet now. Don't frighten Cecil.
4: Tiptoe around the tiny living room and sit down gingerly on a chair. I take my cap off. I put it on again. I stand up, then sit down again. Jeez, what the heck does a guy do if a baby starts bawling? I hold my breath and listen for the slightest sound that will tell me the baby is awake. It must be a terrific strain to be a father. A few minutes later, though, With no sounds coming from the next room, I find myself relaxing slightly. Still, I hope the woman will come back soon, because Big Ben and I still have boxes to pull on other parts of our beat. I look at my watch. Fifteen minutes have already gone by! I tiptoe over to the bedroom door, thinking suddenly that maybe things are so quiet because the kid has... died. Probably a foolish thought, but... I grab my flashlight and snap it on and wash it around the bedroom looking for the crib. And keep looking. There is a cheap metal bed, a washstand, and two chairs, but no crib. And no baby. I'll be a son of a... I rush back to the front door, wondering why this blonde dame has called the cops about a baby when there was no baby. And then it hits me. Called the... She told me she had no phone. How in blazes! I make it out to the sidewalk and stand at the curb, scanning both ways for either my partner or the dame. Then from the direction Big Ben Slattery had driven old Pete Kelsey, flat and hard in the stillness of the street...
3: Listening to Paul Theater and the Narada Radio Company's presentation of William G. Bogart's exciting story, Murder on Santa Claus Lane. We'll be back with Act Two of our play in just a moment. ha! <coughs> <Brr.
6: laughs> Boy, am I glad to be inside where it's warm. Hey Grandma,
3: what's for lunch?
1: We're having nice piping hot bowls of Cannedwell's Cheese Atomic Soup. It's sure to warm you up both inside and outside.
6: Canwell's Cheese Atomic Soup? I never read that before. What's in it?
1: You know how you like tomato soup with a grilled cheese sandwich on the side?
3: Yeah, that's my favorite.
1: I know. Well, Cannedwell's Cheese Atomic Soup is a delicious tomato soup with little chunks of grilled cheese sandwich already in it.
6: Wow. What a terrific time-saving gimmick. I can't wait
1: to try it, Grandma. Just sit down and have some. Here's your bowl right here. Thanks, Grandma.
6: Hmm. Well, what do you think? The little bits of grilled cheese sandwich are kind of soggy and mushy.
1: Yeah, and? Uh, And?
6: And that's just the way I like it, yeah.
1: That's what I thought you were going to say.
5: Well, eat up. I don't want any of this crap.
1: I, I want, want my, my canned candles. wells. Good, Good food, is food is soup.
0: And now, Mutual of Own providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 B.C., proudly presents Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It, bringing you strange but true tales and oddities from all over this wide world. And here is your host, Mr. Robert Wrinkley. Hello! I'm Robert Wrinkley.
6: Tonight, I bring you some of the weirdest, the strangest, the oddest stories you've ever heard, but they're all true. Believe it or forget about it. We begin with the tale of Miss Junie May Kabonga. Junie May was only 16 years old when, on a safari in the wilds of Africa, her head was inadvertently lopped off at the shoulders by her father's own machete. But it was another five years before she, or anyone else for that matter, noticed. Of course, by that time they were back in England and it was too late for them to return for poor Junie May's head. Nevertheless, she married a prominent physician and they had several children together. Everybody said that, aside from the prolonged silence, they hardly noticed any difference in Junie May's personality. Believe it or forget about
0: it. You've been listening to a special feature of Pulp Puri Theater, Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It, brought to you by Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC. This is Gramercy Noun speaking. We return you now to our regularly scheduled program.
3: Let's return to our presentation of Murder on Santa Claus Lane by William G. Bogart. Tonight's episode of Pulpuri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. When we left off, Rookie cop Johnny Regan had realized he'd been tricked into minding a non-existent baby. And then, when he'd run out to the street to find his partner, heard two gunshots. Johnny takes up the story again.
4: I reach the end of the block and undo the flap of my holster as I swing around the corner. There's the patrol wagon parked near the Acme entrance. And the driver's door is hanging open. This one is from inside the studio lot. I slam through the gate and raise my gun when I see a big form swing around one of the buildings.
1: It's me, kid. Look out. Over there. The back fence.
4: Ow! Slattery is hit. I run to him and see his left arm dangling uselessly. He looks at me grimly, then points with his chin. Fence back there. Two guys. Hiding. Watch it. You wait here. I step around Big Ben and slither along the wall in the shadow of the building. It was my fault Slattery'd got shot. If I hadn't been such a sucker for a pretty dame. I reach the end of the studio building and glimpse the blur of a moving shape. A guy is headed for the wire finch that surrounds the rear of the lot. I jump out from cover and raise my thirty-eight and... A slug screams a scant inch from my head. I throw myself to the deck and roll over trying to find the source of the shot. I see a second man climb in another section of fence, so I snap a shot at him. To make a long story short, I winged the guy, I think, but he still got away. Both of them did. We check on old Pete, the watchman, and he's okay, just a bump on the head from when Ben pushed him down as the shooting started. Pete tells us he called the cops while Ben and I are out looking for the crooks. Pete called in the cops, and Ben and I were the cops. I have certainly bungled things in a fine way. It's almost dawn by the time we get back to the station house. I'd gotten Ben some medical attention in the meantime, and his arm is in a sling for roll call. Lieutenant Anderson holds us back after the other men on our shift have been dismissed. So... Those crooks were apparently after some Christmas bonus money
7: that Acme was keeping on hand for various employees. It's too bad they
4: got away. The lute speaks quietly and without anger, but I know what he's thinking. A couple of patrol cops on the job and two crooks slipped right through our fingers. Not only that, Slattery could have been hurt worse than he was, or, or killed. And all because I had been taken in by a blonde. Take a few days' leave, Slattery, while your arm is mending. Regan, you're on your
7: own tomorrow night. I've got too many men slated to take the Christmas holiday, and I can't spare one to ride with you.
4: Loot, please don't blame Slattery for this. It was all my fault. I fell for the woman's story. I, I should have checked more closely.
1: Now, Lieutenant. Regan probably saved my life last night. If it hadn't been for him,
4: the Loot raises his hand and Ben falls silent. He seems to recognize that Ben is trying to shift some of the blame through his own shoulders. What a guy! I don't deserve him as a partner. We found out from the landlady of that
7: rooming house that the flat you were in last night was rented for just a few days by a woman who said that she and her husband were going to be staying there together. But they moved out just tonight and left no forwarding address. We think that she and those two mugs must have been spotting the Acme job from the flat and work the gag about the baby to keep the two of you off the beat while the men pulled the job. I'm taking into consideration, Slattery, that you're taking Mr. Kelsey into the studio instead of staying with Regan probably prevented the robbery. Let's hope they don't come back while you're on the mend. Dismissed.
4: I drop Ben off at his place, and as he gets out, he says with a grin, Keep away from blondes, kid. They're trouble. But his face is pale from loss of blood. He won't let me apologize, just walks up through his door without looking back. As I drive off, I keep wondering about that blonde, and how she must be tied in with those crooks, and how could I get a lead on them? After it gets light, I go over to the rooming house to talk to the landlady. She repeats the story she'd told the other cops the night before. The dame and her husband had been there only a couple of days and moved out suddenly last night. like that?
3: I was out last night and found them gone when I got in. Goodness sakes, he might
4: not even be her husband. Could I see the flat she stayed in? Mm-hmm, sure. I am making out to the landlady like I haven't been there before.
3: Lance sakes, that hussy even kept the key to the front door. She, she must have known I was going to be out last night.
4: Yes, you sure oh, can't trust dear. some people. My, god. I look around the small flat, trying to see something, anything that got left behind that might lead me to the crooks, but nothing. I head home and try to sleep, but it's no use. I come on shift with red eyes and a burning headache and a tense, thoughtful mood. Six months on the job and I was showing them all right. I was showing everybody. The pour that starts at about 11 reminds me of Pete Kelsey's prediction the night
5: before. <laughs> I guess we're gonna have rain for Christmas, uh, looks like.
1: With this bum leg, I can always predict the weather.
4: It's a dreary night. Lights are dimmed in shops and nobody's on the street. I am missing Big Ben. Working on Christmas Eve wouldn't be so bad if I had him in the patrol wagon with me, but without him, it's like driving a hearse! I decide to make my way to the Acme Features lot and see old Pete, and maybe we can share our sob stories over a cup of java. While I am midway down the long block, leading to Acme, the blackout siren goes off. It sounds like a banshee's wail in the darkness. I watch to see if any cars are moving in the block. The only traffic allowed to move during times like these are police and fire vehicles. All others are required to pull to the curb and park. As I creep along in the darkness, Everything looks quiet and deserted, until I see the girl in the Park Sedan. Acting on a hunch, I keep driving past the Sedan, not letting on that I've seen anyone in it. I can't be sure it is the same blonde, and seeing her makes me think about Pete Kelsey again. Pete will be on duty at Acme about now. And this dame in the sedan might just be a lookout for those other crooks. I rolled down to the next block, park in a dark alley, and hot-footed to the studio gates. total darkness of the blackout. I make my way to the watchman's shack, finding the door ajar and no lights on inside. Pete! Pete! Are you here? A few steps across the threshold, I nearly stumble headlong over the limp body on the floor. Uh. Pete! It's Regan, the cop! Tell me, Pete! They...
1: They... They they (laughs) shot me... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm done for
5: re- again. N- nothing. <coughs>
4: be all right. I'm going for help, and I'll be right back. Pete grips my hand with his final strength as he tries to tell me one more thing. His lips open and close, and finally he gasps. Uh, I, I put Christmas
1: lights on
5: shrubs.
4: Pete's body suddenly goes limp in my arms. Desperately, I feel for a pulse. There isn't one. Old Pete is dead. Grimly, I realized that the crooks had tried a daring scheme. Almost nabbed last night, there was no way they'd come back tonight. That's the way the police would figure, and that's the way they figured we'd figure. And so they had come back. I unholster my gun and spin toward the doorway. I know the blackout will aid me in a way, allowing me to approach the main office unseen by the gunman. The Christmas bonus money thereafter is probably still locked up in the safe. As I approach the rectangular building in the darkness, I can make out a darker rectangle ahead of me. The door, standing open! When I am two feet away, I sense movement in that doorway. And then I hear the door slam! It's the cops! Somebody must be on lookout and spots me as soon as I get close enough. I hit the door before I had time to lock it and crash through my 38th blazing. The man at the door is dead before he hits the floor, but I kneel to check his pulse all the same. I ain't down there very long before another guy jumps me, and he manages to smack me on the head with his gun butt. I pitch forward, and my own gun falls out of my hand and skitters across the floor into the gloom. The guy is on top of me. But I manage to roll over on my back, grab his gun wrist, and twist it back until he cries Ouch! out in pain and drops it. I get to my feet, and the guy is still holding on to me, so I push him forward until we hit a wall. That seems to knock the wind out of him, Oof! and he lets go. I paste him a good one on the jaw, and he slides down the wall. I reach out to steady myself, and my hand touches a row of light switches. I flick one up. The room is now flooded with light. I see the guy I'd been battling getting ready to leap at me again, and another guy down on the floor searching for his gun. I see where my own gun has gone and make ready to dive for it. But the other guy gets to his
5: first. Don't move, copper.
3: Theater and the Narada Radio Company's presentation of William G. Bogart's story, Murder on Santa Claus Lane. We'll be back with Act 3 of our play in just a moment.
1: New coffee brand. It's grown in
5: the mountains, but we won't say which land. So go out and buy some, you won't be displeased. We swear it won't cause
1: some infectious disease. Happy holidays, friends. Phil Boyd Studge here for one of our longtime sponsors, Stoop Nagel's Coffee. Friends, Stoop Nagels has been under fire in the media lately, accused of waging a so-called war on Christmas, all because they are packing their special Christmas blend coffee in an all-white bag. Pundits all over the U.S. are claiming that the brand you've gradually grown to enjoy over the course of 40 years has gone anti-Christmas. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the reason Stoop Nagels has packed their special Christmas blend in an all-white bag is to honor the season in the finest way possible by representing snow. Yes, friends, just think of that stark white bag of good old Stoop Nagels as a 12-ounce snowflake of coffee reliability. And to help cement that idea in your little pea brains, we're offering, for a limited time, a very special CD recording of that holiday classic, White Christmas, recorded exclusively for Stoopnagels by none other than that world-renowned man in the monkey suit, Zip Doodah himself. Just like the ones I used to know. So remember, friends, every stark white bag of Stupid special Christmas blend coffee you buy is a message to those who say we're anti Christmas. After all, if we were, don't you think we'd call our special Christmas blend something else? That Stoopnagel's coffee, hand-picked in the mountains of Brooklyn by Juan Valdez's little brother, Julio. Try some today.
5: Don't let rich coffee goodness go to your
1: head. Just go out and buy some Stoop Nagels instead. Four
5: pennies per pot, it's that coffee delight. You'll still be up tomorrow if you drink some tonight.
0: Stoopnagels. And now, Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 B.C., proudly presents Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It, bringing you strange but true tales and oddities from all over this wide world. And here is your host, Mr. Robert Wrinkley. Hello, I'm Robert Wrinkley.
6: Next, do you believe in ghosts? Most people don't but they'd change their minds quickly if they spent a night in The Haunted Hotel. That's the famous nickname of the waldorf off Ant Storager Hotel located in the historic city of Sandusky, Ohio. Built in 1890 on the site of a street battle between local candy makers, union rivalrousers, rousers and city police, the hotel has long been touted as haunted by the ghosts of the men killed there that fateful day. Guests who stay in room 305, for example, often complain about being awakened in the wee small hours by the sound of someone noisily chewing taffy. Across the hall in room 302, guests have reported that their sleep was disturbed by the incessant popping of bubble gum. And diners in the hotel restaurant have had entire tables upset by the unseen spirits of union agitators, climbing up to give long-winded speeches. The hotel is still open for business and does a booming trade during the month of October. Believe it or forget about it.
0: You've been listening to a special feature of Pulp Perri Theater. Wrinkly's Believe It or Forget About It. Brought to you by Mutual of Omaha, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 B.C. This is Gramercy Noun speaking. We return you now to our regularly scheduled program.
3: Welcome back to Pulpery Theater and Murder on Santa Claus Lane by William G. Bogart. Starring the Narada Radio Company. LAPD patrolman Johnny Regans in Kind of a Pickle, isn't he? He's forced to work alone on Christmas Eve. And on top of that, he was trying to nab some safecrackers at the Acme Features studio when he found himself nabbed instead. Johnny takes up the story again.
4: The gun in the guy's hand is rock steady as it covers me. He doesn't flinch. And when he speaks to the other crook, his eyes never leave mine.
5: Get his rod off the floor, Slappy. And then get his flashlight off his belt. Sure, Louie. I got 'em. When you use the flashlight, Slappy, keep it shielded, see? All these lights might just bring on a raft of cops. Now, Copper, turn off the room lights. I am still standing by the bank of light
4: switches. I turn around to look at them and something old Pete had said just before he died flashes through my mind. I see one switch had a little metal plate with numbers on it, and as I flick the first switch to turn the lights off I try to hide my movement to flick that other switch on. The guy with the gun doesn't seem to notice, and the room goes black again. Hey buddy, you mind? The flashlight's right in my eyes.
5: (laughs) All the better to see you with, copper. <laughs> now move, my partner and me. We still got work to do in that next room.
1: Yeah, where the safe is.
5: Shine <laughs> the flash over here, Slappy, so's I can finish loadin' the bag with dough. Ah. Say, Louie, ain't we gonna give this guy a slug? Not yet, you sap. Wait till we're finished here, and then you can drill him all you want. <laughs> <laughs> the
4: guy in charge slips his gun into his pocket so he can use both of his hands to scoop the loot into the canvas satchel they brought. The other guy uses both of his hands, too. One holds a flashlight, the other a gun. And both are aimed right at me. I know what's coming. Just as soon as Louie is finished loading the satchel with the Acme Christmas bonuses, Slappy will shoot me, and they'll scram. They'd already killed the watchman. Killing a cop on top of that won't make the rap any worse. I feel like a complete idiot. Two nights in a row, I've screwed up something awful, and try as I might, I can't think of any way out of this mess. The only thing left to do is... take a bullet and die. If only... And then I hear the sirens. They're on their way. Louie and Slappy hear them too. Louie snaps to his feet and barks a command at the other guy. Now that, that light. Slappy clicks off the flashlight, and as soon as it goes dark again, I realize that in their panic, they've both forgotten about me. I reach out immediately and grab Slappy's wrist, snatching his gun out of his hand, and fire! <laughs> The gunman collapses into me, so I shove him aside and I'm running after Louie before Slappy's body even hits the floor, following the sound of his heavy footfalls as he runs for the office door. And he runs right out the office door, right into the arms of about ten of my fellow officers who have been converging on the doorway. That guy's a killer! Hold on to him! Hold it right, right
1: got gotcha you now! Hey, it's Liver Lips
4: Louie! Where Louis. do you think
2: you're going, Louie? <laughs>
1: well, ain't this
4: <laughs> a, a fine <fight>? time, <laughs>
2: Ain't the gonna be surprised?
4: <laughs> I keep running past the other cops, looking right and left for the sedan I'd passed earlier in the evening. I see it creeping down the lane outside the studio gate. I fire a shot in the air, and the blonde girl inside slams on the brakes and looks at me like she thinks the bullet is intended for her. Yep. And I was right. It's the dame from the rooming house. Hello, sister. Remember me? Come along. You and I are going to have a little talk.
5: About what, copper?
4: About poor little Cecil. Come on. I hold her by the arm as we walk along, and as we pass through the studio gates again, I notice the two small shrubs on either side of the walkway brightly illuminated with... Christmas tree lights!
3: We'll be back with the conclusion of our story after this brief word. You're listening to Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company.
5: Just in
4: time for the holidays. Everything old is new again. Repellent Pictures, the studio that brought you Santa Claus vs. the Mullas proudly presents a retelling of the classic Frank Capra picture, It's a Wonderful Life. Let's go back to sleepy, tiny Bedford Falls, home of hard-working George Bailey, played by James Stewart, and money-grubbing old miser, Mr. Potter, portrayed by Lionel Barrymore. Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about They do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. People were human beings to my father, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be.
1: I'm not interested
4: in your book.
1: I'm talking about the
4: building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know.
7: Well, I've said too much. I... You're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. Just one more thing, though.
5: What? This! Don't miss
4: this heartfelt, heartwarming, heart-pounding Christmas tale. Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Sentence now playing at all fine cinemas, and released by Repellent Pictures.
0: And now, Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC proudly presents Wrinkly's Believe It or Forget About It, bringing you strange but true tales and oddities from all over this wide world. And here is your host, Mr. Robert Wrinkley. Hello! I'm Robert Wrinkley. And lastly,
6: here is the story of Johnny Warden of Halifax, Nova Scotia, who, as second mate of the cargo ship SS Mont Blanc, miraculously survived the explosion of that vessel on December 6th, 1917, and the subsequent destruction of the Richmond district of Halifax, and the deaths of more than 2,000 Haligonians, by the simple miracle of having been in the bed of a prostitute neighboring Fort Sackville at the time. He was known as Lucky Jack for the rest of his life. He died in 1947 in Queens, New York at the age of 62. Interestingly enough, in the bed of another prostitute. Believe it or oh, forget about it. I'm Robert
0: Wrinkley. Ta-ta for now. You've been listening to a special feature of Pulp Perri Theater. Wrinkley's Believe It? or forget about it. Brought to you by Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC. This is Gramercy Noun speaking. We return you now to our regularly scheduled program.
3: Let's wind up murder on Santa Claus Lane. Tonight's installment of Pulpuri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. So
6: I see these here Christmas lights, you know, and as a air raid warden, it's my job to report any lights that are on during a blackout, you know. These here Christmas lights are like a beacon for any Japanese bomber, you know. So I strolls down the sidewalk here to tell the watchman to douse the lights and he's dead, you know. Next thing I do,
1: I calls the cops.
6: Regan, how on God's green earth did you
4: do it? How did you single-handedly take down two crooks and chase a third one out into our waiting arms? I'll tell you, Rafferty. Old had tried to clue me in as he lay dying. He'd said something about buying lights for the little shrubs out front, and he used to light them every year. But this year he was worried because of the blackout rules. He was telling Big Ben and me about it the other night. You mean, you managed to turn on those Christmas lights? Uh-huh. When Louie ordered me to turn off the lights inside the office, I saw the switch that controlled the gatehouse lights. I took a chance that Pete had hooked his Christmas tree lights up to that same circuit and switched it on at the same time I switched the other lights off.
6: Officers, we'd better get these lights doused, you know. Otherwise, we're sitting ducks for any Japanese planes that might be... All right, warden, all right. Calm yourself, my lad. You'll have your darkness back in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Let me go, you dirty copper. Ah. Mm -hmm. Regan, Mm -hmm. I see you're still toting the young lady around by the arm. Mm -hmm.
4: I'll take her off your hands and get her booked, all right? Come with me, missy. Thanks, Rafferty. Thanks for taking care of her. I, I need to call over to Big Ben's place and tell him I got it all straightened out.
0: You got what all straightened out?
4: Blonde trouble. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas! <laughs>
3: You have been listening to Murder on Santa Claus Lane, the third program of Pulpery Theater's third season, starring the Narada Radio Company. Featured in the cast were, in order of appearance, Nick Womack as Johnny Regan, Pete Lutz as Big Ben Slattery, Nancy Bueller as the police dispatcher, Emily Carpenter as the young woman, Paul J. Patterson as Pete Kelsey, John Washington as Lieutenant Anderson, Jerry Eliff as the landlady, Skeeter Omen as the gunman, Dana Gonzalez as Slappy, Skeeter Ullman as Louie, Jim Baldridge Garst as the air raid warden, and Jason D. Johnson as Rafferty. With additional voices by Omar Lopez, Lee Robinson, Kian Letts, Katie Lofton, and Pete Letts. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. Tonight's story, Murder on Santa Claus Lane, was written by William G. Bogart, and it appeared in the January 1943 issue of G-Men Detective magazine. It was adapted by Pete Lutz, who also directed and produced this program. Now, here's Pete to tell you about our next episode.
1: Well, first I want to thank our special guest voices, the men who played the cops. Victor Aurelius, Austin Beach, Glenn Haskell, Glenn Higby and Jeff Niles. We hope you'll join us next time when Pulpery Theatre brings you an old play of mine that I wrote in 2001, specially dusted off and updated for our series. It's all about a time-traveling private detective known as the Time Cutter. That's next time on Pulpery Theatre. Until then, this is Pete Lutz, reminding you to call me if your situation changes, and to keep your ears clean. Special features cast, Adriana Fontanez, Griffin Green and Katie Lofton in the post-apocalyptic Bible play Place Spot, Darren Rockhold and Mick Womack in the Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It, Kean Lutz and Marilee Robinson in the Candwell Soup Spot, and Dana Gonzales, Rich Wentworth and Pete Lutz in The Repellent Pictures Trailer. Special music stings in this production were composed and performed by Dr. Ross Bernhardt and John Carl Taugh. All other music in this production was sourced from the public domain. Like us on Facebook at Pulpery Theatre Auxiliary and find us on the web by googling 63 audio
0: The preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain, except where indicated. The audio play script and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creator, and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulp Puri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio Production